0: Take your Bibles and you can open them to 1 Samuel 17, even though I do not have, uh, as you can see in your bulletin this morning, there are numerous, numerous verses. I'm not going to stay anywhere long. Some of them I'll just make mention of as we go by. You might just want to listen. Uh, I want to I wrap up the series that I started a few weeks ago. We had a break last week for the men's conference. But I wanna, I wanna finish that series, Facing the Giants, and um, I, I'm gonna give you a lot of verses. So just kinda listen, to, the outline this morning is fairly simple. Um, I'm gonna have a good time with this. This is, this is, this is a neat study. I, I, I do believe with all my heart, in fact, when I got right with, with God many years ago, uh, God put a, a, love, a deep love in my heart for his word. And uh, obviously being called to preach, um, that's what I'm supposed to do and I'm supposed to have, of course, even as a believer, we should have that. But I was introduced through some very great teachers and preachers, uh, different ways to study and approach God's Word. And, and they, they helped me tremendously over the years to be able to study God's Word not only from a historical standpoint, but certainly from a literature standpoint, uh, not even just from, from the basis of read. you know, some people will start it in Genesis one, read all the way to revelation 22 in, in their own quiet time. And that's a great way to read through the Bible. But I began, and was taught to study God's word, to dig out some of the deep, deep riches. And I found out real early on, you can never exhaust God's truth. I mean, you can live 10 lifetimes and never exhaust his truth. And the more you study, the more you realize two things. The more you study, the more you realize how little you know. And the more you study, the more you find out how much there is to know. And uh, this morning, as as we talk about uh, weapons for the fight, what has God given us to defeat the giants in our lives? This is a perfect illustration of how God's word can just explode with meaning. You have to be very careful when you study through scripture, when you're studying types, pictures and symbols but they also when done properly and when done rightly and when you can back it up biblically from other text along the way it just opens up God's word in a brand new dimension i think so this morning that's what we're going to do i want to show you from from God's word the weapons that God has given to us i will back these up from the new testament but I want to show them to you concealed in the Old Testament story of these giants just to show you what God has given us to be able to fight the giants of our life uh, as we face them. I gave you three truths. We looked, actually looked at scriptures along the way out of Genesis 6, out of Numbers 13, 1 Samuel 17, 2 Samuel 21. Those were our primary verses that we've been looking at as we've done this study Uh, I've given you three truths that we've talked about these four weeks. Number one, giants are always at war with us. And we saw that there were giants oftentimes throughout the Old Testament uh, standing against the people of God. And then we looked at David, how David fought Goliath when he was 17 years of age. But yet at the age of 78, uh, we find David not fighting one giant. He's fighting four giants. So he had been fighting these giants all his life. And that's true in our lives. We always, if you're, if you're going to walk with God and if you're making a difference for the kingdom of God, the enemy's always going to be throwing something at you. There are giants in our lives that we have to learn to fight. second truth we looked at, the giants of our youth will always give birth to the giants of our old age if we don't properly deal with the giants of our youth as we go along. Uh, they, they have a way of coming back to haunt us and coming back to harass us. And, and just the truth of the matter is, there's probably many people here in this room today and and who are listening online today that can honestly say they have been fighting the same giants most of their life they keep coming back and a lot of the reasons is because we don't, we don't ever deal with them properly early on in our walk with the Lord. I gave you the verse out of uh, Galatians 6, 7, and 8 uh, to be the New Testament parallel to it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We reap what we sow. So, we don't deal with those giants in our lives early on, we're going to reap what we sow. We're going to reap more than we sow. We're going to reap later than we sow. The third truth I gave you, and we started it two weeks ago, you and I need help defeating the giants. And we certainly saw that in the life of David. Second Samuel 21:15 says, Now when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down and his servants with him. And as they fought against the Philistines, David became weary. And boy, sometimes the battle gets weary. Sometimes the battle gets hard. Uh, We get tired of dealing with those giants along the way. I think it's interesting in verse 22 of that 21st chapter, it says, These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hands of his servants. The battle can become weary as we fight giants. And oftentimes we get weak and tired along the way. And the truth of the matter is none of us in our own strength and our own ability have the power and the strength that it takes to defeat the giants that are in our lives. Uh, But notice, again, as I read those verses, David did not have to fight these giants alone, nor did he have to fight them in his own strength. God made provision for David outside himself himself. And outside of his own resources, God provided David what he needed to fight and defeat the giants. And God will always do that for his people if we learn how to recognize them and appropriate them and use them. So what has God given to us to empower us to defeat the giants in our lives? What helps have God given to us to destroy giants? And what weapons do we have in our arsenal that we can use to to, to defeat those giants when they come uh, our way? Well, I I started answering that two weeks ago, and I did it, uh, began so by giving you an overarching principle. I'm going to deal with that again for just a second, because if you don't get this principle down nothing else i'll say today will make any difference and what i said was simply this the battle against giants in our lives is first and foremost a battle of faith it is fought and it is won by faith and if you don't get that down if you don't have that as your starting point if you don't have that as your foundation of of battling these giants you're never going to get very very far as the Apostle Paul was writing to the Ephesian Christians, and in uh, Ephesians six, he outlines for us what we know to be the full armor of God. He tells us that we're not fighting battles with flesh and blood; we're fighting against uh, spiritual beings in high places. We're fighting a spiritual battle that can't be seen with physical eyes. We're fighting a battle that cannot be fought with physical weapons. We're fighting a spiritual battle. And he outlines for us all those weapons uh, that God has given us and all the protection that he's given us in the full armor of God. But in Ephesians 6.16 he says this, In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In other words, Paul is telling us faith has to be in its proper place in our hearts and our lives. If we are going to be able to stand against the attacks of the enemy when they come our way. So that's why I say this battle against giants in our lives is first and foremost a battle of faith. It's won or lost in regards to this matter of faith. Again, the the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt were headed to the promised land. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years men but two died in the wilderness never receiving God's promise or God's best and the bible tells us it was because of unbelief in their heart that caused them to wander yet when david came and fought goliath david started from a platform of faith he had faith in god he had faith in god's word he had faith in god's ability And God did a great work through David as he fought and defeated that giant, all because David stood there in faith. Well, the battle is won or lost, whether or not we understand that. Now, I want to pick up this morning and uh, in the verses that we've been considering, I want to show you both in type and in picture and in symbols, that God gives us some insights into the weapons necessary to defeat the giants in our lives. And again, this is the beauty of God. and It's the beauty of his word. Remember the Old Testaments, the New Testament concealed. The New Testaments, the Old Testament revealed. You see these truths concealed in the, New, in the Old Testament. will will reveal them out of New Testament truth. And that's the advantage we have of being on this side of calvary so what helps has god given to us what weapons do we have four of them i'm going to give you this morning and this is pretty good this this ought to almost make a baptist get happy and almost might even say amen on some of this uh this morning number one what weapons do we have to fight against the enemy god has given us his son god has given us his son to defeat the giants in our lives. And you're going to have to hang with me for just a minute on this one. Uh, That really ought to be a no-brainer for those of us who know the Lord, but it is amazing how many times we forget this or we fail to appropriate this fact in our lives. Listen to me. Jesus is our victor. Jesus is our victory, and he and he alone has overcome the enemy he has already defeated satan he's already defeated sin he has already defeated the grave so no giant that we will ever face is greater than that which he has already defeated he is our victory now let me let me tell you why that's important to remember that as we go back into the old testament and look at that from a concealed Uh, point of view I I want to point out two things with you as David fought against Goliath and I think they're very very important first of all just before David kills Goliath I want you to notice and remember what David said to Goliath now get the picture little David going out to face big Goliath both armies watching there in the valley of Elah it had to be a sight little short David big tall Goliath. And as he watch, marches out there to face his enemy, he does so by faith. We talked about that last week. And I want you to listen at what David told Goliath. In fact, he didn't tell Goliath this, he commanded this to Goliath. This is 1 Samuel 17 45. That's why I had you turn to 1 Samuel a moment ago. You come to me, David said. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of heaven. The God of the armies of Israel. You know what I believe? I believe that old giant Goliath was primarily defeated not just by a slingshot and a rock. He was defeated by the name of the living God. God. In fact, listen to me. It was the name of the Lord our God that brought down that Israel, that giant. Now remember back in Old Testament times, names were important. Names were given for many, many reasons. And you can oftentimes understand uh, a person's real character when you understood their names. For instance, you go back to the Old Testament, that name Jacob. Uh, Jacob's name could mean one who takes by the heel in regard to his holding fast, his twin brother Esau at birth. Remember, he came out of the womb holding uh, Esau's uh, heel, so that's why they named him Jacob. But that name was also given to Jacob because it depicted how he was going to live his life for at least the first part of his life. That name Jacob could also mean to supplant, implying the idea of tricking or deceiving and if you know anything about the early days of the man Jacob he was a trickster he's a crook he deceived people all the time he lied he lived up to his name but remember one day God chased after Jacob and there at the uh the creek Jabbok he encountered the Lord he wrestled with God And by the way, any time you wrestle with God, guess who's going to win? It was not Jacob. He lost. He saw God in a brand different way. After getting greatly humbled, he came away a different man. God changed his name. He changed it from Jacob. Does anybody remember what name he gave him? He was called Israel. Do you know what the name Israel means? One who strives with God or one who walks with God. It represented Jacob's person now that God had overcome his life and he started once again walking with God. Names are important. So when David walks out to do battle to this old giant, he did not come against Goliath in his own name. He did not come against Goliath in the name of King Saul. He did not come against Goliath In the name of Israel, he came against Goliath in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. And when he called on the name of his God, listen to me, he brought into this battle against Goliath the very power and ability of the God of all glory. And Goliath had no challenge against Almighty God. That's the power of God's name. Now, hang on to that. We're going to come back to it in just a minute. Let me me take you to the second thing I think is important when we think about God giving us his son to defeat uh, the the giants in our life, Uh, even to take this just a little bit further. Another interesting thing in David's fight against Goliath, remember, again, Old Testaments, New Testament concealed, New Testaments, Old Testament revealed. It's interesting that the Bible tells us David picked up five smooth stones from the brook to fight with. Uh, I told you he was going to use one for Goliath and the other four was for his four sons. That word stone could also be translated and probably even more properly translated as a rock. So as David came against Goliath in the name of his God, He then shot a stone, a rock, at that giant and killed him. So in a very real way, way, it was the name of God and the rock that killed that giant. Well, folks, one day, one day in Caesarea Philippi, after confessing that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus spoke to Peter and told him the following, Matthew 16, 18. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this, what? Rock. He's speaking of himself. He's speaking of the Son of God. He's speaking of the true Messiah Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. In other words, nothing can overpower the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's take all that and let me apply that to what Paul would later tell us in Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, 9 and 10... Paul writes the following, for this reason, God highly exalted him, Jesus, the rock, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, the rock, every knee shall bow of those who are in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the father every knee shall bow of those on earth in heaven and in hell and every giant has to bow at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that's power in his name that's the authority we have in his name Jesus is the rock and we can stand in his authority by confessing his very name you remember one day Peter and John were headed up to the temple to pray This was after Christ had been crucified, resurrected. He had made his appearance. He's now been uh, transformed by ascending back into heaven. And uh, Peter and John filled with the Holy Spirit of God after Pentecost. They're walking back up to the temple. And in Acts 3 and following, we read this story. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along whom they used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple and when he saw Peter and John almost uh, about to go into the temple he began asking to receive alms but Peter along with John fixed his gaze on him and said look at us And he began to give his attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, now listen, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright, began to walk. He entered the temple with him and was walking and leaping and praising God. And on the basis of faith in his name, the name of Jesus, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and you know. And a little bit later on, they're explaining to the officials what had happened. And in Acts 4.10, they said the following, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Hey, folks, I don't have any authority in my name and you don't either. But let me tell you something. You mention the name of Jesus and every demon of hell has to bow. You stand against that giant the next time he comes your way. And you reach down to the brook and you pull out the rock. You stand there against that giant in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you watch that old giant fall right down before you. Claim the name of your God. Confess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And watch that name fall right, that giant fall right before you. The name of Jesus there's power in that name there's authority in that name let me, let me ask you last time you were fighting that old giant or next, let's put it this way, the next time you start to fight that old giant just start to talk about Jesus out loud hey next time you get around that crowd that wants to cuss and act up wants to belittle you for being a believer wants to ridicule make fun of the church let me tell you what you do, just mention the name of Jesus he'll shut up try me They'll shut up. They might laugh, but it doesn't matter. There's power in his name. And I got news for you this morning. As a believer in Christ, God's given us the privilege of his name. That's why he tells us to pray in Jesus' name. How do we as believers finish our prayers? In the name of Jesus. What does that do? It's a signature of God that he gives us. It's kind of like it's a validation that God's going to hear our prayer and answer our prayer. And he gives us that name because there's power in that name. So, when you stand against that giant, when he comes knocking at your door, just start talking about the name of Jesus. Call on the name of Jesus. Claim the name of Jesus and watch those giants fall right before you. God has given us his son to defeat the giants in our life. Secondly, this morning, not only has God given us his son to defeat the giants in our life, God has given us his spirit to defeat the giants in our lives and you see that here in our verses about giants and again it's it's a beautiful typology you have to be careful with it certainly but uh, it can be a powerful tool of bible interpretation and application certainly it's seen so here and by the way these things are not in the bible just by accident God has a divine purpose in it. Every every word of God is his inspired, inerrant, and foul word of God. He's got it there for a purpose. And if you know how to dig it out, you see the reality of that all through the Bible. Remember that the Bible tells us that as David was going to do battle against Goliath, he reached down into the what? The brook. And from the brook he picked up five rocks. You remember that? 1 Samuel 17, 40. He, David, took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch and his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. He reached down into the brook and picked up the rock. Do you know that the Holy Spirit of God is most often represented in the Word of God by the picture of water, a brook, a stream, or a river? Well, he does. And oftentimes God represents him by water. For instance, John 7, verses 37 to 39. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood out, stood up, and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes, there's that matter of faith. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, listen, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit, whom those who had believed in him were to receive For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Living waters representing the Holy Spirit. In reality then, as David was about to fight and later defeat Goliath, he reached down into the brook, picturing the Holy Spirit. He picked up the rock picturing the Lord Jesus and thus he defeated that old giant in the name and the authority of his God and in the power of the Holy Spirit now let me imply that for a minute by the way I told the early congregations morning I'm not 100% sure what I'm gonna preach after I get through uh, with this next Sunday I know what I'm preaching um uh, following Sunday we have our guest here with the family weekend and then after that I'm not sure but God just keeps speaking to my heart about preaching on the Holy Spirit. Because I think it's, I think he's a forgotten part of the Trinity in the church. And, and most of our Baptist churches, we're so afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit, we don't talk about him. And as a result, we've, we've lost a lot of truth, important truth that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. So listen to me for a minute. God has placed his Holy Spirit into our hearts and our lives to do for us. And in us what we could not do for ourselves. Now let me say that again. I want to make sure you get this. God has placed the Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives. To do for us and in us what we could not do for ourselves. In fact it was the Old Testament prophet. Zechariah, that once put it this way. This is Zechariah 4, verse 6. I love this verse. In fact, I pray this verse every Sunday before I walk out here to preach. I pray this verse oftentimes. I remind myself of this verse quite often. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, thus saith the Lord. And that's just true of life and living if we're going to walk in God's fullness. It's not by human might. I don't have what it takes. Hey, folks, if I had what it took, I wouldn't be fighting these giants. I would have already defeated them. It's not by my my power. Void of God in me, I'm bankrupt. Void of God in my life, I am nothing. I can't accomplish anything for the Spirit of God, for the kingdom of God. In my own strength, there is none. But it's not by might. It's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And David reached down into a brook and he picked up a rock and he killed Goliath with that rock. Paul explains it this way in the book of Romans, verse 2, verses 5 through 6, and then I'm gonna read verses 11 to 14. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. And then down in verses 11 to 14. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then brethren we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. I don't have what it takes to defeat those giants, but God does. And he has put his Spirit in our lives to do in us and through us what we cannot do in our own strength and if i'm living according to my flesh i must die in order that i can let the life that christ has put in me reign in me and through me to god's glory and to god's honor folks it's the work of the spirit in us and it's interesting again we don't talk about this much in our baptist churches It's interesting, when you read through the New Testament, you'll find there's some very clear commands about how we're to relate to the Holy Spirit. And we're to relate to the Holy Spirit in these ways because it's not by might, not by power, but by His Spirit. It tells us we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if you're full of the Spirit, you can't be full of yourself. Amen or on me? We're to be filled with the Spirit. We're to walk in the Spirit. We're to live in the Spirit. We're to be led by the Spirit. We're not to quench the Spirit. We're not to grieve the Spirit. We're not to resist the Spirit. The giants in our life will fall when we stand against them and the authority that's in the name of the Son of God filled with the spirit of God. Those are the weapons that God's given us to defeat the giants in our lives. God's given us his son. God's given us his spirit. Thirdly this morning, I'll do these last two a little quicker. Somebody probably needs to say amen right there. God has given us the saints, the saints to defeat the giants in our lives. That's right. God gives us other people the saints of God to help us defeat the giants that are in our life. Now going back to our scriptures in the case of the people of God coming out of Egypt, God gave them Caleb and Joshua to defeat the giants. Unfortunately the people chose to listen to a lie and not follow Caleb and Joshua and it cost them the promised land. But God gave them two men of faith to lead them. They just wouldn't follow. In the case of the people of Israel fighting Goliath, God gave them David. And by faith, David defeated Goliath, won a victory for the people of God. In David's case, as he fought the four giants of his old age, God gave him Abishai, Sebekai the Hushatite, Elhanan, and Jonathan the son of Simei. And God used all four of those men to help David defeat the giants in his life. God surrounded David with godly men to help him defeat the giants in his life. And folks, the truth of the matter is we all need that. We all need godly people in our lives that can help us. Last week when we had Brother Randy here preaching, you saw, you heard from one of the men that's in my life. He's been there for a long time who speaks into my life and helps me deal with the giants in my life. We all need godly people, not just anybody. You know, everybody can give you advice. Everybody can offer opinions. But not everybody can give you godly counsel. We're talking about godly counsel here. We all need people that will encourage us will admonish us, will correct us, will rebuke us, will love us. We all need people to stand with us in our fight against giants. You cannot defeat the giants in your life on your own. You must surround yourself with godly people who will help you stand against the giants that you are fighting. And by the way, for what it's worth, do you realize that's one of the main reasons for the church? You ever heard somebody say, well, you know, I'm I'm for Jesus. I just ain't for the church. Or somebody who thinks they're being super spiritual by saying, you know, I, I I don't like organized religion. I don't need the church. I can walk with God on my own. No, they can't. You realize how arrogant that statement is? You realize how foolish that statement is? I got news for you folks. Listen to me. I need you. You need me. You say, you're right, Ken. I don't want to get up and preach. I want, want somebody else to preach. I don't. <laughs> it's not what I'm talking about. I need you to encourage me. I need you to pray for me. I need you to stand with me. Hey, if you see me get out of line, rebuke me. Correct me. I need you to challenge me. I need my brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank God. Thank God for the Randy Kennedys in my life. Thank God for the Scott Westbrooks that's been in my life. Thank God for the James Mallards that's been in my life. Thank God for the, for the, for the Scott McHugh's that's been in my, my life. Thank God for the Frank Dawes in my life. Thank God for the Robin Halls in my life that helped to encourage me and challenge me to keep pressing on because I can't do it by myself. I need help from my friends. By the way, listen at what Paul wrote about this matter. In in Hebrews the 10th chapter 23 to 25 he wrote and he said let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see this day drawing near hey I need you you need me. We need each other. That's the purpose of the church. That's why you're not to forsake it. That's why you ought to get involved. Well, don't say anywhere in the Bible where there's membership. It doesn't use the word membership, but let me just promise you, it's all over the Bible. Be a member. Get involved. Commit yourself to a body of believers. It's all through the pages of Scripture if you look for it. You need the church. The church Need you? I love Proverbs 27:17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Again, thank God for people in my life that that's been proven true over and over. Listen to the wise writer of wisdom in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him when he he is alone. Two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Hey, God's given you saints to help you walk faithfully and to help you stand against the giants. Don't neglect them. Don't neglect your own assembling together with the saints of God. Let them encourage you and help you in your walk against the giants. He's given us his son, his spirit, the saints, and lastly this morning I'll close with this. God has given us his scripture to defeat the giants in our lives. He's given us the scripture. Well, here in the story of David and Goliath, you have to look for this truth uh, a little deeper to see it. But is there nonetheless? And let me show it to you this morning. And then I want to apply it in the life of the Lord Jesus. And we'll close with that. How did the scripture come into David's battle with Goliath? Well, to answer that question, let me ask another question. How did David know to come against Goliath in the name of his God, in the name of the Lord of hosts? Well, I'll tell you the answer to that question he would have known from his reading of the Torah. Now in David's time, the Torah would have been what we basically know in our Bible to be the first five books of the Bible. David would have remembered how God spoke to Moses about his great name and how Moses would have gone up against the Pharaoh in the name and the authority of the one true God. So David would have learned to use the authority of the name of his God through the reading of the Word of God, the Bible, the Scripture. That's how he knew it. Hey, folks, there's power in this book right here. There's no power in my words. my human words. There's power in God's Word, though. I've seen it over, seen it over, and over again. You remember Jesus had started his earthly ministry. First thing he did, he went to John the Baptist. He was baptized. As Soon as he was baptized, he left to go do something. If you've been to Israel, you know that he was baptized most likely right down where the Jordan River goes into the Dead Sea. He was in the Judean Desert down there. It uh, calls it in the Bible the wilderness. The wilderness is not wooded areas like we think of a wilderness here. Uh, it's it's the old it's the desert, and there's nothing there. I mean, the the biggest thing you find shade under is a little brush bush about so high. I mean, there's nothing there. It's desolate, desolate. Forty days, forty nights. Jesus preparing for his ministry he's praying he's fasting he's seeking the father because of a weakened state physically 40 days of fasting will do that to you I guess I've never done that but I'm sure I've been told that you can look at me and tell I've never done that after 40 days he's weak physically what happens Satan the great giant comes to Jesus the son of God Three times Satan tempts Jesus. Three times Jesus responded to that giant. You know how he responded? Listen, here's the story. Matthew 4, 1 and following. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God. Command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written. Where is it written? God's word. The Torah. God's word to man. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord God, your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, go Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. When the giant of the devil came to attack Jesus, how did Jesus deal with him? He spoke the word of God. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians six seventeen, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Hey, let me tell you something. Next time that giant comes your way, You speak to him in the name of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, trusting your friends to help hold your hand up high and praying for you. And then let me tell you what, you just start speaking God's word to him and see if he doesn't flee from you in a heartbeat. Again, folks, there's there's no power in my words. There's power in this book. I've seen it for 40-something years ministry. Somebody sitting out here in this congregation, lost as they can be, never come to personal faith in Jesus. The only reason they're there is because somebody begged them and pleaded with them to get them to church. they, They think they're bored out of their mind. They don't want to be here. But all of a sudden, as they sit there, not listening to the words of a preacher. But all of a sudden, they sit there and they start listening to the word of God. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and He begins to work deep down in their heart. He begins to convict them deep down in the heart. He begins to convince them of who Jesus is. He begins to call that person to salvation. He begins to deal with their sin to the point that they're willing to confess their sin and confess Jesus as the Lord of their life. And all of a sudden, the Word of God reaches down into the heart and the Spirit of God takes that Word, reaches their lostness and brings them to salvation. And Jesus... There's power in God's word. There's power to save. And there's power to defeat the enemy when he comes our way. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word today. Oh, Lord, help us to be people who hear it, know it, apply it, all these things today. Thank you that you've not left us helpless. Thank you that you've not left us in our own strength. Lord, it matters not what enemy we fight today. When we stand against them in the authority of your name. When we stand against them filled with your Holy Spirit. When we stand against them surrounded with brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we stand against them in the authority of your word. They have to fall just like O Goliath did before David. Now Lord for that person that's here today who's never come to salvation. Maybe they're just like that person I just spoke of. Lord, right now, your Holy Spirit's knocking at their heart's door. Right now, you're tearing down the sin in their life. You're taking away their excuses. Right now, you're bringing conviction. And you're drawing them to the only one who can save them. And that is your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, do your work of salvation this morning. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, help us to hear today help us not just to be hearers, but do- doers Lord whatever it is that you might have spoken to our hearts today help us to walk in obedience to it as we've heard from you this morning as we are coming to the end of our service just a moment LC is going to come back and lead us in a hymn of invitation this is the time that we give you to respond to what you've heard if you're here today and you've never been saved we want to ask you to do this I'm going to be standing down front and if God has spoken to your heart as we stand and sing, would you just do this? Would you step out from where you'll, where you'll be standing, make your way down front? Come take me by the hand and just say, Pastor Kent, I need to give my heart, my life to Christ today. God's calling me to salvation. Don't know what to do. I don't really know what that means, but I need help. Would you, would you, would you help me? We'll have one of our staff members take you back to the back for a few moments and share with you from the Bible how you can give your heart to Christ and how he can change your life from this day forward. Christian of God has spoken to you as you stand and as you respond or maybe if you need to come to this altar and just pray for a moment you respond to what God is saying to you my word to you would just simply be this you be obedient to him you be obedient let God do his work in your heart and your life walk out of here today in victory not defeat Lord we thank you for this time help us even now as we respond and we ask it in Jesus name amen would you stand to your